Are we good? Are we good? So it's fascinating to me um, when you begin a study and you begin to understand, and not you can't just study this like I opened a book and I began reading, but when you begin to understand through different experiences and different learning what happens when you start to experience the world that God actually intended, it's a remarkable thing. And so when you see the world that God intended, because you know we're not living in the world that God intended. He created something without shame, without fear, without regret, and we live in a very broken humanity. What's also interesting is when you begin to understand the truth of God's word and the original intent of how he wrote. I came across something that when I hit it, it was like running into a brick wall. And it was this. From God's earliest point, he had this word in the original Hebrew language. The word for compassion comes to us out of the word womb. Where we get the word compassion in its original Old Testament and Hebrew language speaks to womb. It's a picture of birthing. It's a picture of giving life. It's a picture of us choosing, making a choice, to act and give life away. Now, let me just say this. I have some notes. Hopefully you picked up a bulletin. I would encourage you just to take some notes with you along the way. I have been writing a, a tribe guide for our leaders. I would love for you, and not just our leaders, to be able to take some notes and start coming to tribe with you guys setting the table for discussion. I don't want to make this all about me and my insights or what has Dave created for us. I'm happy to do that, but I like to leave room for the Spirit to move you to ask the question. So I'm just going to encourage you, if you got some uh, a bulletin tonight, and, I, and just to jot yourself some notes, maybe ask a question. But when we start to understand that the word compassion comes to us from the root word of womb, we understand that we have a choice. And the choice is, when I choose to act with compassion, I am choosing to forgive. I'm choosing, in a circumstance where it's easy to condemn, to judge, to write off, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to serve without recompense, to give them an opportunity that they might not normally have, that's the picture of compassion. What we began doing is having this series called The New Normal because new life requires us to recalibrate our lives in some fashion to create a new normal. So we began experimenting with compassion. And, and many of us, to the tune of over $1,200, just fasted a normal expenditure with the idea that this could benefit another. So we didn't order Cokes at dinner, or we didn't eat out as much, or we, we, we made some alteration, and we were able to pool that money together. And now, over the next couple of weeks, we're just tuning up our antennas with the idea that God's going to open an, a door. He's going to reveal a need, an opportunity, but you're all armed with a way to bless, and you pull out your card, and it's a chance to simply meet a need, or at least become sensitive to the needs around you. That sounds like the beginnings of a new normal to me. So I want to talk briefly tonight about just three areas about compassion. Compassion first as both normal and countercultural. 
You know, that's the world we live. When we declare our allegiance, when we pledge our devotion to Christ, you understand that you're now living counterculturally, and yet God, by his original intent and his original design, created us to live compassionately. Secondly, I want to talk about how we're created for compassion, and then thirdly, talk about compassion as God's great revolution. Specifically, it is his restoration plan that we get to be co-creators of. Just like we have the ability when we come together as a man and a woman to produce new life, we also, when we come to Christ, have the ability to restore life. And I think the primary way is through acts of compassion. So um, the first thing I would say is compassion is both normal and countercultural. So I would simply start out by saying I believe that compassion feels like an interruption because compassion makes us vulnerable. And who among us likes to enter a room feeling vulnerable? We like to walk in with an amount of self-assurance and confidence but not feel vulnerable. Vulnerability feels like an insecurity, if we're honest. But when we choose to act with compassion, it somehow creates a feeling of vulnerability because we don't know if it's going to be received in the right way. We don't know if it's going to be appreciated. We don't know if it's going to be stewarded as we would steward it. So it makes us completely vulnerable and says, God invited us to create and order life. Which, by the way, this is also the strength I see in a mom. I don't know what it is, but acts of compassion seems to flow much more naturally out of the heart of a woman. And, um, and, and I would say it's, the, it's not just a feminine quality. I would argue, though, that a man who demonstrates or has a streak of compassion actually appears heroic. This is what God created us to do. It feels both normal but it also feels countercultural. I love what Walter Brueggemann said in the prophetic imagination. Listen to this quote. I think I included it in your notes, but he says, compassion constitutes a radical form of criticism. Again, normal and countercultural. For it announces that the hurt is to be taken seriously, that the hurt is not to be accepted as normal and natural, but is an abnormal and unacceptable condition for humanness. The compassion of Jesus is to be understood not simply as a personal emotional reaction, but as a public criticism in which he dares to act upon his concern against the entire numbness of his social context. Wow. You want to stand apart? You don't have to have all of the words to proclaim Christ. If you want to set up yourself apart in cubicle world or in, in the drop-off line at school, if you want to be a light live with, with an intentionality and a bent towards compassion. It will look heroic. But I would say it would feel like the most normal thing in the world because that's part of our original design. Now Jesus comes with this authority and power to bring new life. That was what he leads with compassion. But despite the demands, despite the opposition, he seems to have this regular rhythm this regular pra practice and expression for compassion. Look at a couple of these verses. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he turned the other way because he didn't want to wait on the line. 
No, no. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When I see crowds, I am often not moved to compassion. I am already, like, powering up for I'm going to be bothered and crowded and people are going to enter my personal space and this is going to take longer than I want. Jesus sees crowds and is moved to compassion. Matthew 14, 14 says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So first we see compassion as protection. Next we see compassion as healing. When your friend is feeling ill, when your kids are sick, do you go to the pantry and pull out the children's Tylenol, the Benadryl, or do you go to the Lord in prayer? What I would say is that when we choose to exercise faith in the most practical and tangible ways, we reveal the heart of God, but it's an expression of faith. We choose to let the compassionate hand of God act through prayer. Matthew 15, 32 says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They had already been here three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on their way. So we see compassion as a feeding program. Now this is a problematic because the inner skeptic in me, the inner cynic in me, rears its ugly head thinking, oh, these people, if they would just work harder, Oh, these people, if they would not be irresponsible. Oh, these people, to which Jesus could have said the same thing about. A lot of these people were following Christ because he was the welfare line. He was the handout. It was like Jesus was doing all these miracles, and it's almost like you could read into this some disciple skepticism. Oh, Jesus, don't just hook these people up with a handout. Make these people work for it. Send them, they can feed themselves. To which Jesus compassionately says, no, I want to feed them. The, the, the fourth example I have of Jesus' life is, is that Matthew 20, 34 says, Jesus had compassion on them and they touched their eyes, immediately received their sight and he followed him. Now, you might not have a prayer of healing that would bring blindness uh, bring sight to blind people, though I would encourage you maybe to possibly pray that way with a level of expectancy. But we do see compassion being shown as guidance. I think there are people struggling with spiritual blindness, with a kind of hopelessness. And what compassion does is it gives a kind of guidance to them. So we start to see these real tangible expressions of compassion. And I would simply say this, Compassion isn't just a quality of Jesus that we're called to emulate. Let's close in prayer, go be like Jesus, and feel sorry for people. No, I think compassion is part of our design, which seems to indicate that our greatest need is that we find outlets to express care and support. Let me tell you this from my own confession. If I am not looking out for the needs of others, what my natural gravitational pull draws me to is to care for myself and my immediate surroundings and the things that benefit me. To which I would say that has nothing to do with being a light and a part of God's restoration plan. I think God has created us to show acts of compassion even when it feels like an interruption because that's what creates new life. 
that's what, what sands down the calluses of our heart. That's what resensitizes the condition of our heart. And so in the original writing, in the original story, we see Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where it begins to tell, this is the very beginning. This is where the Bible starts. And he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What we have from the beginning is a picture of chaos. It was formless. It was, it was something that had no kind of order. What God does over the next seven days is begin ordering his creation. We are a part of that created order, and we are the pinnacle of his creation. Everything was good. We, as humanity, became very good, to which I would say part of our original design is to be co-creators in the image of God to bring order where there is chaos, to bring form and structure where there is nothing in place. So what does that mean for our daily and practical lives? Well, so if you're a writer and you're able to craft words that bring life to someone else, to a blank screen, you're bringing order or creating form out of nothing. If you're an investor, if you're a business person, if you're a real estate agent, you are putting together the ability to generate revenue. Why? In order to build up your own life or to reflect the goodness and the graciousness of God. The ability to be able to take nothing and create something. To take chaos where clients and customers are non-existent and now create a revenue stream. There's all kinds of these images. So it's a fisherman who comes and whether he just wants to put food on his table or create a whole fishing business, it's taking nothing and creating something beautiful out of it. This is the creation story reflected in our own lives. For those of you who might be just simply stay-at-home parents, I would say that the creator is reflected in you when you sink your hands into a dirty diaper and you create something beautiful out of what is nasty and dirty. It's restoring something and into its right intent. Do you understand what I'm trying to communicate? That the, that the earth was once formless and without beauty, God comes and emerges something out of the chaos and makes something ordered and beautiful. We're a part of it. We get to participate in it. And I would simply say that compassion has a real tangible expression. It's what happens when a husband and wife come together to conceive a child. Um, it's what happens when we have different kinds, of, uh, like a mechanic who's restoring an engine to running order or a business person who creates revenue streams out of nothing, an event planner, a fundraiser, a wedding planner, a realtor taking an idea but without form and creating order and beauty. And you've been in the workforce and around different parents to know when you see beauty and it done well and it done right and when it's been abused and taken advantage of. This 
is the humanity that God intended, and this is the life we're created into. And so I would go back to what I said. I think when we are able to show acts of compassion, what we're doing is we're meeting potentially our greatest need, even when it feels like an interruption, and even when it might make us feel vulnerable. God manifesting himself through us allows us to take that which was without form or chaos or nothing and create order, structure, strategy, and beauty. I hope that gives you a kind of hopefulness about how God has wired you in your day job. So when we practice this, we become co-creators with God in restoring and repairing a broken creation. Now, I had a chance this week, and a few of us attended an event that I thought was outstanding. I had never been to something like this. If you have an idea, there's a community that wants to help support that idea. And, um, and, and what I would say is, we went to an event this week, and it was called Philanthropitch. Philanthropitch is a group of people who had an idea for a nonprofit. None of them were pitching their idea because they wanted to have a get-rich scheme. All of them had an idea that would serve and bless and care for the needs. They had identified a niche, they had identified a need, they had identified an opportunity, and they cobbled together their own resources, their own friendships, their own education, their own vision, and said, I want to do this. And so this philanthropist was what you get when you get the TV show Shark Tank meets local nonprofits. And the ideas were vast and varied, and they were all compelling. I mean, it was one lady who created her own diaper that wouldn't be disposable and create more waste in, in toxic landfills, but it was also supposed to create a new price point that would be more advantageous for the consumer. Another person was trying to create a niche for... Um, uh, develop childhood literacy from zero to five using the wellness checkups because they felt like literacy can really do wonders if kids could start before they get to kindergarten. Well, then another one was how can we in this creative class, in this, in this music-rich city, take care of Austin's artists better? And another one was focused on how could we bring the arts into schools that are struggling and, and, and supplement and complement the curriculum, especially in underserved schools. Another one was taking young moms and breaking cycles of or young students, particularly Hispanic girls, breaking cycles of poverty through education and seeding the idea, partnering with moms and daughters to become college graduates. I mean, the ideas are like, yes, 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 can I vote for all of them? What was interesting, they had three minutes to make their final pitch. Um, there was eight finalists, they had three minutes to make their pitch, there was a panel of about eight or nine judges, they had three minutes to ask questions, and then they had awards at the end, cash awards, so some would get, like, one person got 7,500, one got 10,000, but the big award was to be put into this thing called the Mission Accelerator which they would be able to get professional consulting, entrepreneurial leadership, and all of the business strategy stuff that most of them weren't good at. They were good at whatever, being a midwife. They were good at being a school teacher. They were good at all these other things, but they didn't have the business background. Where does this come from? None of them 
had it, well, my faith led me to do this, and the Lord Jesus Christ led me to this point. No, no, no. None of them even had a faith orientation, except I would argue they were all rooted in the creation story and in the heart of God. What he's created all of us to do is to live with a bent towards compassion, care and support for the needs among us. It was one of the most inspiring nights. I'm like, I wish a church would have come up with this idea. Instead of building another building, put all that capital into sponsoring these kinds of nonprofits. Wouldn't that be a compelling thing? Man, it just started seeding in me, Lord, you want to do a new work. You want to make it. So it was really fun to be a part of. It started in 2013, so it's four years old. They, they, they sell out every year. Um, I, I want to go next year, and I hope more of us can go, just to see what's happening in Austin. But maybe God might stir our hearts for how we might live out this rhythm of compassion more. So we looked at the creation story. Let me just tell you how it ends, and I'll close with this. The creation or the the revelation story is John's dream. At the end of the dream, God says to him, write this down. These are trustworthy and true. So I'm taking this with a very literal connotation. Now, there is this belief, what I would call evacuation theology, that, oh, good God, this world is hell on earth, right? Get me the hell out of here because there's no good and I'm just going to go away somewhere else. Except the end of the story, we see the creation story. God goes, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. God never revoked and said, yeah, it's lousy now. Let me take you somewhere else. No, this is the picture of what God says about his creation in Revelation 21. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I wish I had these kind of dreams, right? Like, I'm trying to, like, piece together random dreams. This is this beautiful, poetic, this, this, with, with this compelling um, vision. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Pre-Genesis 3, what was God's intention? What was God's reality? He walked in the cool of the garden. God's dwelling place was with humanity. Sin enters it, and we had this new fragmented relationship. But when God restores all things, he's going to walk in the very presence of us. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, the life that you and I think of as normal, will be not normal will be having a new normal. Thank you very much. For the old order of things has passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, and he says, write it down, for these things are trustworthy and true. I believe that Jesus is not simply seeking distant acts of charity. He's looking for concrete acts of love and compassion. So what does that look like? Is that just like pure acceptance and tolerance and just go along because we say we should love everyone? Absolutely not. What I think it looks like from Jesus's other writings is you fed me, you clothed me, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. You visited me in the hospital, you visited me in the prison. For whatever you've done, for the least of these you've done for me. I was a, I was a pregnant teen with a 30-year-old grandmother 
and I'm living on generational poverty, and you came to my classroom and told me about healthy screen time and eating habits. I was begging at a street light, and you took me to HEB because you had a $20 gift card. Jesus is not simply looking for distant acts of charity where we just simply write checks, but he's looking for concrete acts of love. Why? Because they need it? Sure. But so do I. Because my heart is cynical and calloused, and I don't want to be made vulnerable. And he invites us to experience a new normal so that we, as children of a living God who died and rose again, can experience new life. I hope that sounds compelling for you. Some of you have already been armed with gift cards. Um, I would just encourage you this week. It's been interesting as my radar has been tuned up. The wheels have been turning. I'm just going, oh, oh. And it's not like, where should I give? It's, it's, it's finding, it's finding which one, which one. And so um, can we just pray together? Because I believe that God is stirring, and I believe that God wants to invite us into this deeper reality. So let's just pray together. Father, I pray that in this week you would interrupt us, that you would cause us to have a glimpse over what you're saying. We understand that our battle is not for flesh and blood, but we're stuck in a world of demands and deadlines and screaming voices and alerts on our phone and deadlines to meet, but you operate in spirit, in power, and in truth. And so I pray that we would hear your divine whisper and we would receive that interruption like we would receive a calling from our mom to come to dinner, to be served or to serve. We would hear your beckoning because you're trying to soften our own hearts, to resensitize our hearts. I pray that we would be a resurrected people, that new life would be our story because our hearts are in tune with yours and we could experience new life because we simply decide to practice a, a, a rhythm of compassion. Thank you for the compassion that you have bestowed on us and how you have softened our hearts what you have given to us, how you have met us in such faithful ways. We give you praise for that. And now we just want to, in these quiet moments, in these worshipful moments, declare your word. But more than just singing words back to you, I pray that you would just make us mindful of where you're inviting us into. And may our hearts just have well up with gratitude as we declare your worth and sing to you in these moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. The author perfecter of our faith, the one who shows compassion and invites us to follow and co-create with him. In Jesus' name.